Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, we'll be reading together this morning from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 through chapter 2, verse 10. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17 through chapter 2, verse 10. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17 through chapter 2, verse 10. Please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I avowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord." And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we love stories of deliverance. We love hearing stories of of people who find themselves in great difficulty, only to rise from the ashes of more resilient people. We love to live vicariously through these sort of characters in movies or novels. These plots inspire us to persevere through our own trying circumstances in life. In fact, this is in part the American dream that has become so much a part of our cultural mindset and national identity. Well, as I mentioned last week, whenever we're reading the Old Testament and we come across a person an event, an institution, or even a theme, we need to remember that there are paths from those things to Jesus. There are paths from those things to Jesus. Just like from every village in England, there's a path to London. There are paths from those things to Jesus. And so, so far in the book of Jonah, we have been considering the paths, the paths from Jonah to Jesus, 
We have considered the path of obedience. We've considered the path of authoritative speech. We have considered the path of sacrifice. And now today, we will be considering the path of deliverance. Indeed, Jonah in this chapter finds himself in the depths of distress. But yet God, God is the one who delivers him through God's own appointed means. This is the path or a path that will get us from Jonah to Jesus. Jesus who himself experienced these same depths and also experienced the heights of God's deliverance. This morning I'd like us then to focus upon two points We'll first consider the depths of distress, and then we will consider God's deliverance. The depths of distress, and then second, God's deliverance. The depths of distress and God's deliverance. Now in Jonah chapter 1, as I have pointed out in, in previous weeks, the author emphasizes this theme of descent. Jonah begins somewhere in Palestine, And we read that he descends into Joppa. And in Joppa, he descends into a ship. And on this ship, he descends into the very belly of the ship. And from the very belly of the ship, he descends into the very heart of the sea. Indeed, in chapter 2, verse 6, we read that Jonah finds himself at the roots of the mountains. And boys and girls, imagine that. Jonah finds himself at the very roots of the mountains. Jonah says that he went down to the land whose bars closed upon him forever. Jonah went down, down, and down, and down in chapter 1 and 2. And Jonah says in verse 2 of chapter 2, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Now, Sheol is a reference to to hell. It's that place of divine punishment after death. And here, Jonah is saying that he feels. He feels as if he is in hell. He feels as if he has been abandoned by his God, utterly forsaken. In verse 4, he says, I am driven. I'm driven from your sight, O God. Yet again shall I look upon your holy temple. God's temple is as far as one can get from the very belly of Sheol, which exists in the recesses of the earth. This is like uh, when the psalmist says that as far as the east is from the west. Jonah is in the depths. Jonah is in the depths of distress here in this chapter. Now, in one sense, Jonah's predicament here is completely not relatable to us. I assume that no one here has experienced um, drowning in the middle of an ocean during a raging storm. Yet, from another perspective, Jonah's experience, his predicament here, is like a mirror that reflects our life in this valley of tears. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in the depths of distress because of the effect of our own personal sin. Uh, This was true of Jonah in this passage. We live in a moral universe, and thus there are natural 
natural and expected consequences for our sin and, and poor decisions in this life. There are times in life where we find ourselves in the depths of despair because of the sin of other people. Indeed, consider the sailors. They found themselves in a life-threatening storm. They had to let go with much of their cargo, which was their wealth and livelihood, largely due to Jonah's sin. And so we ourselves might find uh, that our lives are filled with turmoil and chaos, largely owing to the effect of other people's sin. There are times in life where we feel as if we are in the depths of distress or despair because we live in a fallen world. There are many times where there is no discernible explanation for what we experience apart from this. We live in a fallen and sin-cursed world. Indeed, we, we ask ourselves, why did my family member have to unexpectedly die? Why do I have to suffer from a mental illness? Why do I have to have a physical disease or handicap? Why did that debilitating accident have to happen to me, which is resulting in far-ranging effects upon my life? Why do we as a couple have to suffer infertility or a miscarriage or a stillborn or even yet the death of a child and list could go on? This is exactly where Job was at. There are times in life where we feel in the depths of distress because God just feels distant from us. God feels as if he has removed the light of his countenance from our life as if he has forsaken and abandoned us as his children. We feel as if the bars of Sheol have closed in around us and God's holy temple is millions of miles away. Can you relate to Jonah? Can you relate to Jonah? Do you ever feel as if you've been metaphorically tossed into the chaos of the raging storm because of the effect of your own sin, the effect of other people's sin, or just because we live in a fallen world. Can you relate to Jonah? What do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in the depths? What do we do when we are plummeting to the depths? Well, the first thing we need to do is rest. Rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in God's sovereign control over our lives. Notice what Jonah says in verse 2. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then this passage is set off as his own distinct unit by these references to God controlling the fish. In chapter 1, verse 17, it's God who appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, who spoke to the fish? God spoke to the fish and told the fish to vomit Jonah up onto dry ground. 
Of course, Jonah knows that he's responsible for his own sin. Of course, Jonah knows that it was the sailors who threw him over the side of that ship. But yet, Jonah is able to acknowledge God's sovereign control over this whole situation. It was God who hurled the storm upon this water. It was God who ultimately caused him to be thrown off the side of that vessel. This should remind us of what we confess in Heidelberg Catechism 27. Boys and girls, you should be quite familiar with this question and answer. What is the providence of God? And the last phrase of this question and answer says, Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but, his fa- but by his fatherly hand. Indeed, all things, beloved, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things, not just prosperity, not just blessings, not just the good things in life, but the trials, the afflictions, the tribulations, the valleys. All things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, of course, this does not make God the author of evil, but God is indeed sovereign over evil. There's a great mystery to this assertion that we will never fully wrap our minds around in this life, but yet we have to affirm God is not the author of evil, but he is sovereign over evil. And so when we find ourselves in the depths, we need to rest. We need to rest in this promise that God does not permit anything to happen in this universe without first determining how he will work that thing out for the good of his people and the glory of his name. God does not permit anything to happen in this universe without first determining how he will work that thing out for the good of his people and the glory of his name. This Beloved, is the promise that we are to rest in. This is alone what is able to make us patient and thankful and confident no matter what we are going through in this life. Now, as we rest in God's sovereign control, we also are to embrace. Embrace God's sovereign purpose for him permitting us to plummet to the depths. We are to embrace God's sovereign purpose for permitting us to plummet to the depths. Now, boys and girls, what is Jonah doing in chapter 2? What is Jonah doing in chapter 2? He's praying, right? Jonah is praying in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is a record of Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. Now, notice that it took God sending Jonah to the very, very bottom of the ocean to get Jonah to pray. It took God sending Jonah to the heart of the sea to teach Jonah to truly pray. The sailors act as a great foil to the character of of Jonah in the first half of this book. Notice that the sailors, these pagan Gentile sailors, pray to Yahweh before Jonah does. It takes God sending Jonah to the heart of the sea to teach him, to teach him to truly pray. 
Isn't this the case for us as well? So often it takes trials and sufferings in our own lives to to teach us to truly pray. Our default position as we live and move and breathe and uh, feel our way through this world is to do so as autonomous beings before our God. We we so often act like a uh, a four-year-old who desires to live independently of, of his or her parents. Now, when Jesus told his disciples, or when, when the disciples asked Jesus, oh, Lord, teach us to pray, the disciples got more than what they bargained for. Now, of course, Jesus answered this question by giving them the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that we spent weeks, recent weeks, uh, exploring. But in a broader perspective, Jesus answered that prayer by giving them a life of hardship and suffering by calling them to be his disciples. Indeed, Jesus says that a disciple is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, won't they also persecute you? The depths of distress are the Lord's curriculum to teach us to pray. The depths of distress are the Lord's curriculum to teach us to pray. Now, we shouldn't think of prayer merely as the, the movement of our vocal cords or, or, or words proceeding from our mouth. Prayer is the fruit. True prayer, genuine prayer, is the fruit of a deeper heart disposition. And what is that heart disposition? It is a disposition of dependence upon God as our creator. It's a disposition of embracing our fundamental identity as creatures in the palm of our creator, as sheep in the palm of our shepherd. Consequently, then, as we learn to pray, we learn to truly live. Live as God intended us to live as creatures and as sheep. Have you experienced this? Have you been humbled by the trials of life or have you been embittered by the trials of life? Are you embracing your identity as a creature or are you seeking to live as a self-sovereign of your own life? Have the depths taught you to pray, truly pray, genuinely pray, the way that God calls us to. Indeed, you might find yourself even this morning in the depths and know that God, who is sovereign, is sovereign over this circumstance and is teaching you through this affliction how much you are in need of him as creator, sustainer, and redeemer. Now, when you read Jonah's prayer here in chapter 2, you'll you'll notice that this prayer resembles another portion of Scripture. What portion of Scripture does this prayer resemble? The Psalms. This this prayer resembles many of the prayers that we read in the Psalter. In fact, one commentator says that Jonah's prayer shows allusions or references to Psalms 3, 5, 16, 18, 31, 42, 50, 65, 88, and 120. Jonah knew his Psalter well. 
And when Jonah was pricked in the depths, he bled the Psalms. When Jonah was pricked in the depths, he bled the Psalms. Now, why are the Psalms so helpful for us in the depths, in the belly of Sheol? Was well, because the Psalms acknowledge and lament suffering. They do not turn a blind eye to the afflictions that we experience in this life, but they readily acknowledge and lament the fallenness of this age that we have been called to travail. The Psalms also are blatantly honest with God, with the apparent contradiction that we all wrestle with between the the promises of God that we hear with our ears and what we see with our eyes in our circumstances. The Psalms are blatantly honest with God as we wrestle with that apparent contradiction between what we hear with our ears in God's word and with what we see with our eyes in our circumstances. Thus the Psalms give us words, words to express the full range of our human emotions in this life. And so do you know the Psalms? Are you acquainted with God's own inspired prayer book? And in those moments when you cannot bring yourself to offer intelligible words, do you turn to the Psalms in those moments of angst, sorrow, distress? Do you know the Psalms? Well, what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in the depths, the depths of distress, in the belly of Sheol? Well, we rest. We rest in God's sovereign control, and we learn to pray. Pray according to God's own inspired prayer book in the Psalter. Well, it's only when we recognize that we all are in the depths. In one way or another, we all are in the depths due to the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, into sin and misery. It's only when we recognize the depths of distress that we will come to appreciate God's gracious deliverance. Now Jonah, as he was tossed over into this raging storm, he, he truly thought that he was going to perish. Now drowning in the midst of a raging storm has to be one of the most terrifying things one could experience. And uh, arguably on the top 10 list of the ways in which you do not want to go. And Jonah thought this was it for him. As we read in, in verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. Jonah thought this was it. Lights out. But yet how was Jonah delivered? Do we see here Jonah, the mighty swimmer who conquered the storm of God's wrath and and swam uh, safely to shore? Uh, Do we see that Jonah did his part so that God would do his part in saving Jonah? Not at all. We read in chapter 1, verse 17, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. How then was Jonah delivered? Through the might of his own effort? No, through God's own appointed means. It was only through this fish that Jonah's life was preserved. Apart from the Lord's intervention, Jonah would have perished. Now, of course, we are not delivered from our distress through a fish. So how then 
does God deliver us when Jonah's experience tends to be a mirror of our own experience? Well, we are saved by God appointing his son to be our mediator. Just as Jonah saved, uh, God saved Jonah through the means of a fish, God saves his elect, his people, through the means of his son. Psalm 110, verse 4, David says, The Lord, that is to say Yahweh, has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking to the Son, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever. Whose priest? Our priest. The Lord appointed Jesus to deliver us from the depths of our distress, of our depravity, of our despair. And in order to do this, he, as the Son of God, had to experience the depths himself. He had to experience what it was like to live in a fallen world. He had to experience physical pain, hunger, and thirst. He experienced betrayal and disrespect from those closest to him in his circle. He experienced sorrow and grief. He experienced all these things so that he can both identify with you in your suffering and so that he can be your representative. But Jesus didn't stop here. As we've been reflecting upon the last several weeks, Jesus also went to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus was literally in the belly of Sheol. He didn't just feel like he was in hell. He was in Sheol as he suffered the anguish and torment of God, of God's wrath against sin. Jesus went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. When did Jesus descend into hell as we confess in the Apostles' Creed? On the cross as he took the punishment of hell for all of the people of God. And yes, Yes, people of God, God was sovereign over this storm as well. God was sovereign over the death of his own son, just as God was sovereign over Jonah being tossed into the ocean. Isaiah says in, in chapter 53, verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Just as Jonah confesses in verse 3 that it was God who threw him into the waves, so to Isaiah says that it was the will of God to crush his son. Now, Matthew chapter 12, which we read last week, Jesus looks at the story of Jonah and he says, Jonah is about me. The fact that Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights points to Jesus' death on Good Friday and his resurrection from the dead on the third day of the week, or on the third day, excuse me, and so just as the Lord spoke in chapter 2, verse 10, spoke, and the fish delivered Jonah, vomited Jonah up onto dry ground, in a similar way, God speaks when Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 4, that Jesus was declared. By whom? By God the Father. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So just as God spoke, in Jonah's deliverance, God speaks in Jesus' deliverance and resurrection from the dead. Now, as we move towards the conclusion, I'd like to dwell here for a few moments on the significance of God's deliverance. Now, Jesus' experience 
of the depths of distress and then consequently God's deliverance through his own resurrection is not merely an inspiring tale to motivate us to persevere through our own trials in life. Rather, this is good news. Good news for our existence. Why? Because Jesus is our representative. His resurrection guarantees our future bodily resurrection. Just as when you see a train going through a tunnel, you can be confident that every one of those cars will pass through that same tunnel. It's just a matter of time. In the same way, we can be assured, beloved, that every one of us will be delivered from this body of death through the resurrection of Christ. It's just a matter of time. Furthermore, this picture of deliverance shows us that salvation is completely a work of God. This is one of the chief lessons that Jonah would have learned in this ordeal. How do we know that Jonah learned that salvation was completely out of his power and control? Well, notice how Jonah concludes this prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah knows that he can take no responsibility for his salvation. And this is what Paul says in chapter 2 of Ephesians when he says that we all were once dead, not sick, dead in our sins and trespasses, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So just as Jonah was completely helpless as he was drowning in the sea, completely unable to save himself, so too we are dead, dead in our sins and trespasses, but for the grace of God. And so for those of us who have loved ones in our lives who are either don't know the Lord or who are straying from the Lord, this reminds us that what those individuals ultimately need is not God's law. The most important thing that these people need is not God's law. Yes, God's law is helpful, but it's not the ultimate thing that they need. What do they need to hear? They need to hear this message of God's deliverance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Apart from true faith in this gospel message, calling people to live moral lives is like spray painting rotten apples. A complete fruitless endeavor. Last of all, this picture of deliverance reminds us that if you belong to the Lord, there is nothing, nothing that you can do to sever that relationship you have with your God. Again, it, remember Jonah's example here. Jonah, with all of his might, tried to flee from the presence of God, but it was a fool's errand. He could not sever his relationship that he has with his covenant Lord. And so the good news for us this morning is that no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what you are doing or will do, if you belong to the Lord's people, there is nothing, nothing that you can do to sever that relationship you have with the creator of the universe. The Lord calls those who are his and those who are his will never be plucked from his hand. Let us pray.